Sir, we can't call it the Enterprise. Don't you tell me what to do! This is We Can't Call It The Enterprise, a podcast not about Star Trek. I'm Valerie. And I'm Scott. So this week we watched episode, I don't know what number, uh, The Knox. Yes, The Knox, a couple of hairdos. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you want to start it off or should I? Yeah, uh, I'll get going. So we basically have General Hammond showing off to a suit, and this is kind of really one of the only times I can remember uh, seeing General Hammond really kissing ass. I feel like he does it periodically, but yeah, it's not a super common trait. No, it's not something we see a lot, but he's clearly trying to impress someone in a suit and tie, which is, you know, never a good sign. Just poured myself some Glenlivet 12, a gift from my mom. Nice. I have wine that is apparently far too cheap. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, the suit is uh, basically saying, yo, where are the weapons at? Uh, You've been to 19 planets. You said you were going to bring us back cool new things to blow up aliens and also enemies of the state. So where is it? And they they get into, like, the science versus military debate that we see uh, with relative frequency in in Stargate. They don't argue their position very well, and during that whole time, Jack just has the sass knob at 11. What kind of comparison is that? He clearly does not mind any consequences of telling this guy to just go fuck himself. This is why I like Jack, though. I envy Jack, because he seems to be able to get away with it almost. I mean, General Hammond does just, you know, he has his, like, colonel. (laughs) Colonel, like he's being an impetuous child. He kind of, my 11th grade biology teacher talked to me like that sometimes. Colonel. I could see you earning that. Yeah. Yeah, I just remember, I mean, of course, all, all teachers talk to me like that, and all bosses, and really everyone, in, in like, with that situation <laughs> over me, but this particular tone, Colonel, Colonel, no, that, I, that is, like, distinctly Mr. Jones. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I thought that was a nice interaction, but, um... Yeah, I agree with you. I don't. I don't know how. I don't know how well the uh, the points were made. It's kind of like the well, you know. Well, we went to the moon and then we didn't go there again because nothing useful happened. And then Colonel O'Neill, of course, is like, "Well, that's stupid." So I. I don't know. I think really like they kind of did the job of uh, setting up. Um, I, I mean, actually, they set up a couple of things here. The first is that. Um, you know, like the whole where's the technology is going to be a storyline that comes up uh, many times down the road. Yeah, it's been implicit, but now they're making it much more explicit that that's going to be one of the things that they have to do aside from just defending the Earth. Yeah, so that's one thing. And then the other thing, I guess, is they set up the premise for the episode where, you know, the you know Mr. Suit guy is like, well, where are the cool toys? And then Teal kind of overhears and, and is like, um, well, what did you have in mind, good sir? 
<laughs> and then of course the the other guy's like, well, what do you you know what do you know? And then Teal's like, well, there's some invisible bugs we could go look for. And they're like, sure, <laughs> cool, let's do it. It's one of those many moments where Tilk just kind of drops this little knowledge bomb that he's been sitting on. Yeah, I know. You, you kind of wonder why he didn't bring this up before. I guess, like, you know, it's just a random... I guess it's like where they used... It's like where the ghouls used to go hunting sort of thing. Well, I think the context that he mentioned is that Apophis had wanted him to capture one before. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like... They went to the, you know, they went to, like, the planet of the apes. Like, two different planets of the apes. Like, you would think that if they were looking for Charay, Teal'c would have been like, well, there's this planet that they, you know, look for invisible stuff on sometimes. Yeah, I agree. That probably would have been worth mentioning. But, I mean, in some ways, Stargate's good with continuity. In other ways, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of nitpicky. I the thing is, there's just not a lot to it. Like they're just kind of you know setting. They're just setting it up, and then we very quickly see the team go through, and then the Stargate vanishes. Yeah, so they head out of the Stargate. It's actually, um, I'm wondering if it's either a place that I've been or if it's a shot they recycle a bunch because that particular opening shot of them leaving the Stargate looks especially familiar to me. I'm sure it's a bit of both. I mean... I'm leaning towards the recycled because they do that with a lot of, like, early footage. I mean, yes, it, it is recycled, but we also, like, I still live in an area that looks exactly like that. You know, they're hunting this uh, giant invisible dragonfly creature right near Burnaby. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why no one wants to live in Burnaby. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. That's one of the many reasons. I mean, really, like, Compared to the rest of the reasons not to live in Burnaby, it's uh, not that serious, the invisible dragonflies. But but yeah, that whole episode, the forest looked especially Pacific Northwest to me. Yeah. Like, I know we keep commenting on it, but that was probably the most kind of familiar looking forest. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely felt the same way. I noted that too. But yeah, they noticed that the Stargate disappears. And then what was kind of interesting to me is they're like, well, let's go find that invisible dragonfly. Yeah, they're surprisingly calm about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like in all in all of the other episodes where the Stargate either like disappears or um, stops working, the focus of the episode is to you know get it like find the Stargate or get it running again. But they just kind of go on and uh, finish the mission, uh, and they very quickly find one of the invisible dragonflies. But it's scared off by a staff weapon blast from off camera. So sidebar before we get to that. What are your favorite kind of episodes in Stargate? Because I think mine are the like, we can't get back to the gate or the gate's broken. How do we get back home type episodes? Um, I don't know. Mine are probably the space battle episode episodes because I'm, you know, juvenile like that a little bit. <laughs> I like explosions. But yeah, anyway, so they they notice that there's a staff blast and they kind of wander into the forest and they see, surprise, surprise, Apophis and some Jaffa here are also insect hunting. Yeah, a real coincidence. You would think that they would also have trant guns, but they just have staff weapons. 
So the team decides that they're going to do an ambush because it's a perfect chance to find out more about Share and nominally get more Goa'uld intel. And in the process of the ambush, they um, get wrecked. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and by perfect chance, we of course mean that they're way undergunned and it's actually a terrible time to do an ambush. But they go ahead and try it anyway. And actually, one of the golds uh, finds a shoe print, and he's like, oh, we're totally about to get ambushed. And then <laughs> and then SG-1 ambushes them anyway with, uh, you know, basically pistols. Uh, Teal'c has a staff blast, but, you know, it immediately goes off very poorly. Like, they all kind of have a target that they picked, and pretty much all of them miss. So then, yeah, one by one, Apophis just goes ham and totally owns pretty much the entirety of SG-1. Yeah, he takes out all the humans, and then Tilk is just standing there defiantly, and just as Apophis goes in for the killing shot, Tilk vanishes. It kind of This kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know, did you ever like play guns or whatever on the playground in kindergarten? Not really. Well, I played a lot of guns, Val. Did people at your kindergarten call it playing guns? Yes. Yeah. One thing that always happened playing guns is that you would, you know, quote unquote, shoot someone. And then they'd be like, no, I had a shield. And that's what this was like to me. That brings back memories of six-year-olds arguing. Yeah, exactly. But then it would be like a 15-minute thing. Oh, yeah? Well, I was using special shield-penetrating ammo. So, oh, yeah? Well, I had the special anti-shield-penetrating ammo shield. And then, it, and then it turns, and then that's how you spend your recess. Unfortunately, O'Neill did not have shield penetrating ammo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Apophis won that won that round on the playground. Yeah. So Tilk vanishes, and the bodies also vanish, and he just kind of bug eyes to a cut to black. Yeah, Tilk just kind of looks around, like, well. <laughs> you know, can't be a coincidence. Gate gate vanishes, team vanishes. Um, and the gang wakes up in a primitive hut. Yeah, they make a note of the fact that they have no weapons, but the three humans at least are all there, and they're completely healed. Yeah, they are. They are all healed, and uh, and then a whole bunch. Yeah, so they're surround. They're surrounded by like a new alien race and we're meant to believe that they're primitive and you know it, it does kind of look like they covered themselves in glue and rolled around in a leaf pile as costuming yeah that's a pretty effective way to, of putting it they're kind of um they have a bit of a grayish brown color that looks like it's dust on them they all have very kind of quaint forest dweller type clothing and their hair is the most notable part of their appearance it's very tangled and spiky to the point where it almost doesn't look like hair and it's got all kinds of like mosses and ferns and bits of greenery in it we've all woken up and looked in the mirror and seen something like that staring back at us you know that's what i feel like when i forget to condition my hair i don't even have conditioner I actually only have one type of soap. Oh yes, this this story. 
Well, what's the, what's your type of soap? Is it all in one body wash? Yeah, I think it's three in one. Honestly, Val, I've got like shampoo, I've got hand soap, I've got bathroom cleaner, and I've got dish soap. That's pretty much all of the fluids that I have in my apartment. Why don't you just knock it down to hand soap for everything? Yeah, I think that's kind of. I'll get to that. Uh, that's like what I aspire to one day. Well, what I what I want to know is why they don't just invent because they've they've got it to three in one. Why not make it six in one? I mean, do you want the serious answer? Sure, hit me. You're. I mean, you're a barbarian, so the serious answer might be of some value. <laughs> the reason why we have so many different things is because. God, I'm already enough into the wine bottle. This isn't going to be a very clear explanation but the reason why that there's actually so many different kinds of soaps and cleaning agents that are pretty similar is due to how strong they need to be versus how strong is detrimental for example if you tried to like wash your face with dish soap a couple times it would fuck your face up well okay because your face is a delicate snowflake all right val i don't appreciate that my face is rugged and it can handle dish soap. I feel like washing my face with only dish soap for a month just to show you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, these guys obviously um, don't use any shampoo at all. Nope. And they're you know they kind of they kind of get into a conversation of like. Um, so, you know, after the Knox finished learning English in about five minutes, which is a great, um, I guess that's like the benefit of writing advanced aliens. It's like, well, it's like, wait, 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 guys, how do these guys know English? It's like, they're advanced. They just magically know. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just. I feel it was a bit ambiguous as to if they picked it up or if they were just playing silent the whole time. I think, uh, no, I think there was, there were a couple of lines in there where the Knox were like, oh yeah, well, uh, we picked up your language pretty quickly. And Daniel was like, yeah, pretty quickly. He's like a little bit jealous because he like learns languages as like a profession. He's like, damn, I wish I could do that. That'd be awesome. But, uh, yeah, they're like, yeah, why are you killing the overdressed melodramatic people? Uh, we kind of liked them. And then, you know, and then, you know, they have this big breakdown in communication where they're like, well, the overdressed melodramatic people are bad. Yeah, they have trouble explaining what bad is and why they why they're in conflict. It's one of those moments of the episode where, like, I I get the Knox's deal, but the Knox were basically just nothing but smarm. Yeah, they didn't, didn't want to help SG-1. They just wanted to tell SG-1 that they sucked. Yeah, they were trying to, well, it was one of those, like, uh, I feel like they were trying, what they were getting at is, like, there's no difference between you and them because you're both using violence. And, yeah, it's kind of like the Knox, you know, obviously, like, they're pacifists, and they just kind of don't see how, they're like, well, we're pacifists, and anyone who's not a pacifist is making a choice not to be. Um and SG-1 is trying to explain to them, like, no, we don't want to fight. We don't really have a choice because um, we're defending ourselves. The Nox are like, no, you can choose not to fight. That's your choice. So, and, there, and that's just kind of like, I feel like that's pretty much the conversation throughout. Oh, yeah. So how how quickly did it, or how slowly did you pick up Armin Shimmerman in this episode? You wanted to see me. 
because it took me a while. You told me, you told me um, before I started watching the episode, so I was looking for it, um, and I saw it pretty much right away. You know, it was the it was the like the blue eyes. It took me a couple scenes. Um, I actually totally didn't recognize his face. It was his voice when he talked more quietly. It took time to learn your speech. Not much time. Yes. It had some overlap, but like clearly he is just screeching and hamming it the fuck up when he plays Quark. Taxes go against the very spirit of free enterprise. That's why they call it free. Yeah, I know. That's the that's the thing. He's he's like a totally opposite character here. Completely in every single way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. From the acting to the characterization. Yeah, even the even the loaf, if you will. Um, <laughs> like instead of big bulbous head, it's like even big, the wheat. crazy hair. Like he's bald in in start in Trek. Mm-hmm. And that is like the know. opposite of bald. You were going to say Stargate, weren't you? I got them mixed up. I'm also, I'm running on <laughs> very little sleep right now. How long ago did you get in? Um, I got in uh, around, I don't know, 11.30. It's 7.30 now. But yeah, I, I had to get up at like, it was like 3 in the morning. I just booked my um, flight to Barcelona. And it involves taking an overnighter there. Yeah, that sucks. I mean, the thing like with overnighters, you can. Uh, the thing is, that's going to be some jet lag. That's that's like your day is almost totally flipped on its head. Uh, like your eight hours of rest are your eight hours of work. There. Yeah, the good news is I'm getting there fairly early. Like it's 24 hours until I have to do literally anything, and then it's a couple days until I actually have to speak. Yeah. That's good, yeah. But I mean, with overnighters, you just get one of the travel pillows, you take a couple Benadryl, and like that'll get you hopefully passed out and you'll get the worst quality sleep ever, but it's like something. It's above zero. I don't think I've slept on a plane since I was a small child. See, I I didn't until I started drugging myself. It's like high doses of antihistamines that just knocks you out. Antihistamines? Why does that happen? I don't know. Like a side effect of Benadryl is uh, that it makes you go to sleep. Uh, I use them as sleeping pills if I need it. Um, obviously, it's not good because then you're drowsy for the next day and everything. But if you can't sleep and you need to sleep, then I just take a couple of Benadryl. Works like a charm. Interesting. It is specifically the antihistamines. Yeah. I don't know... Like that doesn't make sense, but well, actually, they use them. They use them as a. I think some antihistamines are anti-nausea, which are because uh, I remember the same thing happened when I took the seasickness pills in Nicaragua, and then I looked it up, and it was just an antihistamine. Um, I'm not sure why that worked, but um, perhaps I have a poor understanding of what histamines are because I'm mostly used to. Um thinking about antihistamines in the anti-allergy context. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's the thing is like uh, Benadryl, Benadryl is an anti-allergy medi- uh, medicine, but antihistamines have are, are also sedatives. So it's a side effect. But I use Benadryl primarily for the side effect of drowsiness. 
this is our science corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> science corner. Anyway, uh, I don't even re- remember how we got got into this. I think we were talking about Armin Shimmerman. Yeah. Anyway, I picked it up really fast because you because I was looking for it, and I started to see it in the eyes. I saw it in the eyes right away, and then, uh, like you said, I started to hear it in his voice when it was quiet. Took it took a little bit for the voice though, and then also in the way his mouth formed, uh, I saw it a little bit there too. Interesting. I didn't notice that. Yep. Um. But yeah, totally opposite characters. They're kind of condescending to the team about how the team is the same as the Jaffa and how they want them to just kind of get out of there as soon as they heal up. And they mentioned that they have a Jaffa with them as well. Yeah. Because evidently one of the Jaffa got killed. Yeah, I actually it's... got a bit confused here because I thought it was Apophis for some reason. And it took me a while to clue in that this was not Apophis. Yeah, it's uh, Teal'c 2.0. That's what we're dealing with here. I, it's more like Tilk point five, I think. Yeah, he really is worse Tilk in every way. It's some uh, Jaffa that Tilk knew and helped train and worked with. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So yeah, novice Tilk, noob Tilk, um, is uh there, and the team is kind of discussing what to do about this because they're like well we can't let him go can't kill him apophis is running running around looking for them but the nox you know obviously won't let anything bad happen to the jaffa um his name is uh, uh what's his name shackle yeah so the nox are going to protect shackle um so yeah, I think eventually. Let's see when when does it happen? Yeah, no, it happens later. Anyway, O'Neill starts making weapons because he's like, "Yeah, Apophis is looking for us." Yeah, he makes a uh, cartoonishly simple bow and arrow. That said, I call it cartoonishly simple. I probably couldn't make it. Yeah, there's no way I could make an effective bow and arrow. Uh, so in between this, um, Tilk tries to talk to Shackle and completely bombs at it. Shackle does not want to hear anything Tilk has to say. And we also get, um, basically for the next 20 minutes, periodic 10-second shots with dramatic music of Apophis stepping through the forest looking pissed off. <laughs> yeah. They do not want us to forget that he's out there and he's looking for Stargate and or Tilk. Yep. Um, yeah, and we kind of one of these scenes is we get kind of like the you know the cute kid, um, who Carter seems to be Carter especially seems to be pretty fond of. Um, says, "Oh well, you could use that bow and arrow to knock fruit off the highest trees," and it's like, okay. O'Neill's like, "Yes, but this is designed to kill people." There's quite a bit of back and forth between various Knox and Daniel. the gang. Yeah, how like it happens with Daniel, it happens with the girl with Jack. Just kind of that um, combination of scolding and kind of exposition about the way the Knox view the world and 
especially with the conversations with Daniel, they kind of reveal that they do have a fair bit of power and are not necessarily just the clueless villagers that they're taken out to be. Yeah, we learned there's that also... there's more to them through Daniel. Uh, we learned that Quark is 432 years old. Yeah, although I feel like that number's kind of made up because they don't... Daniel doesn't really finish explaining his version of time measurement. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, it's years. It's, uh, you know, the number of... It's like the amount of time that it takes for the world to go around the sun. And I feel like that amount of time is very different depending on the planet you're on. Exceptionally so. Um, also, before before the thing happens with the kid running away, um, the Jaffa freaks out and starts yelling and kills, um, I think it's the younger girl, Knox. Yeah, that's right. I think her name is uh, Naya. Uh, that sounds right. I usually don't remember to write down names. So yeah. she gets killed and the Jaffa runs off. Yeah, and... so Shackle knifes Teal'c and uh, and Naya runs away. And then uh, SG-1 saying, let us help you. Let us go, you know, let us help protect you. Um, and then the Nox heal Naya. And they are not able to hide themselves while they use their you know, healing magic, which, you know, I guess is science. They, they don't, they don't really even attempt to explain how the healing works. That scene was kind of wonky to me because they're, um, phasing in, in and out of visibility during that scene, but I know it, it feels like there's kind of a leap to the fact that I don't know. Something something felt weird about that scene to me. It felt like they were trying to jam some exposition in. Like it wasn't very clear that they were trying to hide or why they were trying to hide because according to their knowledge, no one was watching them. Well, maybe it's because uh, well, maybe it's because they knew there were Jafar running around or maybe their default is just to be hiding. Maybe. Yeah. It just felt very kind of odd and exposition heavy. Yeah, I definitely think that the reason that this all happened was um, so that because we know Nefreyu is going to get killed later, and in order for the dramatic climax to happen, we have to feel tense because we know the Nox can't hide while they're healing Nefreyu, so they have to go through it first <laughs> with somebody else, which is what they do with Naya. Yeah, so... Nefreyu has commented a couple times that he wants to see one of the Jaffa and then eventually vanishes and just goes and checks out Apophis, which ends about as well as teleporting in front of Apophis could possibly go. Yeah, especially a nine-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then we kind of cut to Quark saying the very young do not always do what they're told. And, and just like seeing Quark talking like a fortune cookie is because at this point I knew and I'm thinking of him as like Quark because I can't <laughs> not see it and he's like saying all this wise stuff and I'm just like oh my god <laughs> it just does it just didn't feel right it just didn't feel right 
I know it. I'm not sure if it was the way his acting changed a bit, or just me picking up on it more and more. But he felt more and more quirky. Yeah, I think I don't know. I think uh, he. I think you know he was probably acting really well. I just couldn't get it out of my head that this was Quark, the silly bartender who was a, a bit of a shady character, not like <laughs> not like basically a druid. But uh, yeah, so he's saying like you know the very young do not always do what they're told, and he's being cryptic, and he's um, I don't know, just generally you know he's being a bit of a condescending uh, asshole also. Yeah. So they, after that discussion happens, they very quickly find the boy's body, and they comment that it feels like a trap, and. Rather like happens many times in the series, they go, hmm, I think there's a trap, and then don't do anything about it. Yeah, that's true. They're like, well, I think we're going to be walking into a trap here, and everybody agrees, like, yeah, this is definitely going to be us walking into a trap. And they're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's Let's not even come up with another plan. Let's just go with the original plan. If memory serves, they start to get very self-aware about it in later seasons. Yeah, I yeah, I would hope so. But either way, um, I mean, they respond. Jack goes ahead and makes a uh, like a sleeper arrow. It's like a an arrow with a syringe attached to it or a dart. I didn't notice him using um, a tranquilizer. I thought he just sharpened the end of it. No, he he uh, taped. I think he taped a trank dart to an arrow because the the theory was that um, yeah, when uh you know when the when the next time he plays guns with Apophis and Apophis <laughs> is like, no, I had a shield up, dude. I had a shield up. You did not kill me just then. Jack is like, no, no, no. I used I was using a slower gun, so it got through your shield. That was such a bizarre leap to me because um. <laughs> Sam and Daniel did like the dual exposition where it's like, oh, interesting idea, Jack. You're thinking this is because like the reduced kinetic energy means that it won't be as repelled by the shield. And it's not just the fact that Jack evidently thought this up despite being kind of the dumb one of the group. Jack basically made the like, oh, you science types face. Like, I really got the impression that he just made a weapon in the first way that he could think of. And it just happened to coincidentally maybe be viable. Actually, yeah, that's true. He well, yeah, he used to I mean, be. We, we never found out if it was viable because he never got to shoot Apophis. He used to be MacGyver, so he looks in front of him and he sees an arrow and a syringe and a piece of tape, and he's like, "Hmm." <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then Sam and Dan are like, "Jack, you are just a god. You're so smart." And he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> I was thinking about kinetic fields <laughs> and not just looking at a syringe and arrow and a piece of tape. Yeah. Anyway, um, Jack is about to nail Apophis with this uh, improvised weapon. And before we can figure out who's going to win this round of guns, the Nox hide Apophis. Yeah, he gets vanished. Also, um, I didn't remember to point it out earlier, but Tilk has a fantastic one second on screen where they're getting ready for the ambush and he just hoists up this fucking giant log and holds it ready over his head. I don't remember that. That sounds amazing. 
It was it was so good. You see like another half second of him when he clobbers someone with it. <laughs> that is, that is amazing. I wish I had noticed that. I did not notice that this time. I should have written down the time code for it. It was very good. Yeah. Spoiler alert. That's that's my guy. Yep. Then that is yes. Kudos to you. That is the best guy. Um. So yeah, we're pretty much at the end here. Yeah, that's pretty much it. We we get like a teal thing where it's where he kind of says, you know, the strong defend the weak in our culture, and then the docks reveal a giant city, um, and it kind of it just felt I, I don't know why would they show that at the end after all of this. I mean, it was kind of the it was kind of the point of the Nox, both that they. They really looked down on SG-1, but also that they were trying to kind of get SG-1 to listen to them and take them at face value. Like Daniel, I felt like the line could have been a little bit better, but Daniel had like a very stereotypical anthropologist line of like, we came in condescending, we thought they were completely helpless, we thought they were idiots, and it turns out they actually weren't. And if we like engaged with them more on their level and took them more at face value, we would have realized that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is honestly like a very common thing that happens in anthropology in general, like space fantasies aside. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's true. So anyway, that's uh, that's a wrap on the episode. So did you uh, did you like this episode, Scott? Not as much as I remember liking it. I didn't like it a lot this time, and I don't recall liking it much the first time. The I, thing about this app, like we, if you'll note our record time, this is a way shorter record for us. I have less notes than usual, and they're way more detailed. It just felt like not much happened. Yeah. Like not many events transpired in the plot, and I feel like the core points that they were trying to make could have been made a lot more succinctly. Like, they, they beat us over the head with many, many 30-second conversations with the Nox about how the Nox think that, like, peaceful solutions and, like, ducking out and evading things and trying to always take the higher path are a better way to do things. But it came off as just very snide and very disjointed when it could have been, like, a really good monologue at a key scene in a better episode. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I'm not sure... I'm not sure quite what happened. I, I I thought that part of it was that I was just tired. Um, but it really did feel like, because like the, I don't know, the major plot points are like, you know, the suit says, go find us some weapons, which sets up like a larger plot arc. So, you know, that's like a big deal. Um, they go to this planet, things turn invisible. They find Apophis, Apophis kills them. They find primitive people. Um, and then there's basically there's just exposition about, you know, about that and how, you know, you shouldn't judge people, you know, based on what you see initially um, or assume that you're better than them. But then the thing is, like, the Nox are being condescending also a little bit. Um, so I don't know. And then, you know, they, they end up not bagging Apophis. My rating for this episode is... Two out of five improvised bows. 
I feel rather like the bow, it they tried to make something of this episode and it was just so poorly patched together. I feel like I understand a lot of the elements they were going for and clearly like the whole this fits into the um four races plot down the line but it just didn't feel like a very good script i agree uh two yeah two out of five um arrows with darts on them (laughs) um yeah i don't know i think i almost was thinking it was like yeah i remember when tng introduced the ferengi as the main enemy and it totally flopped yeah they were so disappointing and so cartoonish yeah well i like i was it's almost like i mean it's not it's obviously not nearly as big of a travesty as that but uh, but like a big theme in stargate that we're gonna start seeing as you said is like we don't need our allies stuff we need we need them um which I think, you know, that's a great, that's like a great theme and motif. And they're starting to, to introduce allies and like the Nox. It's like they started with the Nox. Is this the first ally that we've seen? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, looking at the episode list, we meet the Asgard pretty soon too. Yeah. So this is the first one, the first, you know, allies or whatever. And they're, they don't really end up being allies anyway, in any serious way. We will yeah, see them I again, was, but... We talked about this, I think, last episode. I was kind of disappointed that the Asgard are the only one of the four great races that we really see much of. Like, the Ancients, I understand, but, like, the the Furlings, there's just this mystery thing out there, which I guess is kind of cool in its own right, but, like, the Nox are so isolationist, we see them, like, once or twice more in the entire series. Yep. Yep. Yeah, another, yeah, one or two times. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah, it, it was not, I wouldn't say it was painful to watch, but it wasn't, I, I didn't laugh or anything. Really, like it didn't make me feel too much. So I've already said that my guy is Tilk deciding to hoist up a small tree as his weapon. Who's your guy? You, you know, I actually was thinking about it, and I couldn't think of, uh, I couldn't really think of a guy in this episode. Like, probably the closest I could come would be in that very first scene where Jack uh, gave lip to the suit. Um, yeah, you definitely identified quite a bit with that, it sounded like. Yeah, I, yeah, well, I, you do it too, though. We're both kind of mouthy. I think you're more clever about it. I just kind of do it. <laughs> like, trust me, I am I am more careful about it now, but I yeah. am not stopped to that behavior. Yeah, that's well, yeah, it's part of your part of your personality. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's hilarious. I think it's good. But anyway, yeah, it's not like because I was totally looking for like where's the like subtle like the subtle guy because like that's the that's what i always go for is like the the person in the background that's doing something amazing even though the focus isn't on them and you found it and it was teal and i didn't find it and that like oh that sucks like uh to me it was a scene of many quick cuts like the the thing that you seem to be 
very good at finding is there's like a focus shot and there's someone fuzzy in the background being silly and i always just look at the focus shot yeah you don't pay attention to the background yeah i don't know that i'm gonna go look for that though because that sounds amazing teal is probably my favorite character in the series so yeah i i would like to see a good teal moment holding a log beating someone with it so our what's the phrase um looking at each other during episode is going to wind up being brief candle instead of whatever the um, original episode would be. Now, I don't know if you recall that episode. I looked up the description of it because I couldn't remember the name. It is the Jack gets a life shortening STD on planet Greece episode. Oh yeah. I think that's a, good episode for looking at each other during i think that's good i think we could um i think we could probably do we could probably fit in two i didn't want to try to cram it but i was suspecting that we would do at least two yeah i mean we won't force it that but well that way we can just like sit down and drink and watch the episode together oh i think uh i think we should oh we should try and do two because the second one is thor's hammer Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good one. And that is going to be... I remember that episode fondly. Um, I don't really remember what it was about. I think they have to solve the hologram puzzle, but... Yeah, they get trapped in a cave system, and it's designed that it will kill any gold that tries to leave it. So they have to figure out how to get Tilk out safely. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and there's the big... Uh, there's the monster in the in, in the tunnel that's a ghoul yeah there's there's that interesting chunk of backstory that i feel like they they only have in like early and mid sg1 about how before humans were the host of choice there was some kind of like vaguely humanoid reptilian monster yeah i think that would be i think we should try and do too brief candle is probably going to be a fun one and thor's hammer i i remember that just being a good episode i could be wrong but i thought it was going to be a good episode i'm worried that i might have my hopes set too high because like i like the asgard a lot in general yeah but we'll have to see yeah okay that's cool all right well um i yeah is that a wrap for this episode is that like is uh did we miss anything it might be i mean that's certainly all my thoughts on like this episode of Stargate. Yeah. It's kind of bad, not bad in like an especially memorable way. Yeah, it, it was no, I mean, it's still no like Luxana Troy um, <laughs> or like period. See, I, I like Luxana Troy. Sorry? I like Luxana Troy. Oh my god. I actually, I saw um, about a week ago that one of her like signature costume dresses complete with wig was up for sale and i had like a solid two seconds of thought about that oh man well it depends on the price the thing is for like it was like three thousand dollars which is an obvious no yeah the thing is though for like a couple hundred bucks oh couple couple hundred bucks that would be my new company party outfit yeah that would be uh that would be great but yeah i mean yeah it's gonna be thousands of dollars and that's just yeah. But then again, like it was like three thousand dollars. That oh, is, man. that's a lot, but that is definitely doable. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how you like Luxana Troy episodes. I, I don't know. This was not that though. It was not like a Luxana Troy episode or a period piece episode. It so was, like... it just wasn't one of the better ones. <laughs> it, it was like below average. That's what I'll say. I like Luxana Troy for a lot of the reasons that I like Quirk. Mm. Like she's, she's so over the top and annoying in a fun way. Mm. Like a lot of the joy for me and Cork is watching him be a shit and piss off everyone else. And that's true, but I, I, I don't know. Part of me feels like the way that Cork does it is more substantial. Hmm. Like I don't know, Luxana Troy. It's always like uh, I don't know. It's always all about her, and it's all. It always seems to be about something that's like dumb. Yeah, Cork's. Quirk shenanigans tend to be a bit more interesting. Yeah, or I don't know. It's like it's like a criminal thing instead of like I'm horny. I mean, Quirk Quirk gets up to a substantial amount of problems with. <laughs> Which I don't think I don't I just don't think Star Trek Star Trek just doesn't do I'm horny well. Like it just doesn't. I am programmed in multiple techniques. Abroad. No, it doesn't. It's, it's, a, it's pretty bad at like exploring <laughs> sexuality in general. It's not. It's not that kind of a show. Yeah, it's really not. <laughs> and that's like, yeah, looks on a Troy, you know, comes in there and it's, you know, that's like what a lot of her focus seems to be on. Seems to be about. They do something that I find interesting with her writing, where they basically manage to add just enough character depth every time like she's she's complete vapid nonsense in her first appearance and they keep adding more depth to her character every single time i find that progression really interesting but it does get a little bit flat that it's always like more or less she's horny is the plot line <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah anyway okay well um i need to go to bed i'm so tired it's like not even real all right have a good week and i'll see you on thursday we can't call it the enterprise is a podcast by valerie lancy and scott reed you can find us on the web at not.enterprises on twitter at not enterprise and you can email us at not the enterprise pod at gmail.com the show is still in its infancy and a positive review would really go a long way if you feel like leaving one see you next time